In this autumn conversations, we'll be exploring money matters in relationships. How do you balance finance and love? How should couples at different stages in their relationship manage their finances? Communication is important, but how do you talk about money when it could be a sensitive topic? What happens when two people have different mindsets about money? And how do you split your finances within the family? Get practical advice, actionable tips and strategies from today's conversation so that you can manage your finances well while building great and healthy relationships. Welcome to today's episode of Autumn Conversations, Money Matters in Relationships. Autumn is a digital health, wealth, and lifestyle solution that provides users with a fresh, seamless way to manage your finance and aspirations. So you can download Autumn on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. My name is Andrew and I'm from The Financial Coconut. With me, I have three guests. Let's welcome founder and counseling director of The Relationship Room, Teresa Pong. Hi, I'm Teresa. Nice to be here. Hello, and we also have Institutional Sales Director from Franklin Templeton, Marcus Ong. Hi, Marcus. Pleasure to join the conversation today. Also, we have Head of Commercial and Business Development from Dollars and Cents, Deanna Lim. Hello, Deanna. Hi, everyone. Nice meeting all of you. Well, our topic today is money matters in relationships. Where, As we talk about finances, we also talk about the relationships we have with people, with family, with our other half. And it's really hard to separate all these different aspects of our life. Although finances and money matters are important, but it's also important to maintain the relationships in your life. Today, we're going to take a look at how love and finance are actually intertwined with each other. So, Theresa, could you set the stage for us as a counsellor, given your experience, let us know what are the fundamentals of a healthy relationship and specifically with regards to finances, what are the important aspects? Sure, Andrew. You know what, Andrew? Um, you know, you just bring me to my memory of a case that I handled just pre before COVID happened. I have this couple who came to see me because they have not been talking for almost a week. Uh, they have a very huge argument. And guess what the argument is all about? It all started with their planning for a trip to Phuket. So the husband will want to book a villa that faces the garden because it feels that most of the time we'll be out. But the wife wants to book a villa that faces the sea. And as a result, they have a huge argument and that you know, lasted for one week. And that's the reason why they came to see me. But let's just look at this. You know, as I was just exploring with them, it's not about money. And which actually comes back to the two fundamentals, or what I call the two pillars in a marriage. The first is actually all about our emotional needs. To so the husband, he comes from a family that's actually not as privileged as many of us would be. So to him, money is security. And so while he understands that, you no, know, they have the budget to actually go for this trip, but he also wants to maximize the budget so that they can actually pack in more activities. As for the wife, she is actually looking for companionship, love, and she sees that this trip is all about building relationship with her husband. So as you can see, both of them have two very different emotional needs. And so when it comes to booking the villa, they see things in a different way. Now, the second reason why they have such a huge quarrel is also the second pillar, what I call safety. Now, when we talk about safety, can we actually have a safe and also a trustworthy platform to talk? A place where we can both come together to know that whatever issues that I'm bringing up, I will not be discounted or being used against in the next time. 
In this case, so what happened is that the husband actually works in the travel industry. So of course he knows all the you know the all the best deals about you know booking accommodation. To him, when he sees the wife, uh, you know, challenging him to his ideas, he felt very confrontational. And as for the wife, to her is, I just want to have a good engagement just to discuss you know what is in your thoughts process. But unfortunately, husband sees a confrontation uh, stance, and wife sees his defensiveness. And that actually escalated to, you know, a big quarrel. So the two major pillars that I'm sharing here today is, you know, about safety and security. And the other one is actually about your emotional needs. And this is going to influence how one see or make sense of money issues. Okay, I think that is a very clear example of how everything is intertwined together because it seems like it's a issue of the villa, choosing of the villa, but... <laughs> Underneath all of that, there's safety, there's security, and there's also the emotional needs. Yes. And especially when it comes to talking about finances in the first place, you need mm. to feel safe to bring it up with your partner. Is that right, Teresa? Definitely. Not only feel safe, we also must feel that whatever I bring to the plate, I won't get judged. Because we actually connect on vulnerabilities. And if I don't feel safe, I can't be vulnerable with you. And then we can't build that relationship with each other. Mm. Diana, does any of this sharing... You know, inspire some thoughts in you with regards to your well, own relationship? <laughs> I think it's spot on, man. I mean, like safety and transparencies. I think that's really a good topic because not every couple has that. Um, I do actually have friends who came to, I mean, since we are dollars and cents, right? Then they will mm-hmm. probably ask like, hey, as a couple, how do we usually manage our finances? So the unique part about Tim and I is that we lump our savings together on day one. And that seems like a very challenging move for most couples because the trust needs to be there, transparency needs to be there, security needs to be there as well. So a lot of them ask like, oh, how did I manage to do that? I mean, like, don't you need some money aside? Moms always encourage us to, you know, keep some money aside for yourself, right? But I guess the good part is that I think Tim and I, I think we had a good chance to discuss about such matters. And um, on the day one, we decided that, hey, you know, this is the best way for the family. Um, If we are transparent enough, uh, we are able to see the family finances as a whole. For example, investment portfolios as a family. Um, What are some gaps we are having now? Do we have everything that we need? Um, Insurance coverage, because team runs a business, right? And we work together. And the level of risk is definitely higher as well for us. And we have two kids. So what if someone falls ill? Do we have enough of it? And all these things, the good part is that we're able to bring it up and discuss what's the best way and plan for it from there on. I think trusting each other is important as well. Um, so for us, lumping our savings together also means I don't shock him with a Chanel bag or he come back driving a Tesla. So things like that is like uh, stuff that we do that we respect one another for. But of course, I do know of friends who, I think most of them, the default way is to have your own savings account and then you open joint accounts together. So joint accounts for everyday expenses, um, mortgages, and then another one for long-term savings. And I think that's fair as well. So you can grow individually and you can grow as a family as well in terms of wealth. You see things in two ways. And I know like when someone has pay raise, then you readjust by percentage as well, your contributions to the family. So these things are 
what can be discussed. And of course, it has to be in a safe zone to discuss these things. Lah. Yeah. Mm, hold that thought because what well, I don't ask, are these be- being discussed right now, the Chanel bag and the Tesla car? <laughs> the Tesla car for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Chanel bag? Mm, no, not really. No, Tesla car, it's, yeah, yeah, it's part Tesla. of the conversation, right? So actually, yeah, Diana brought up a few things that we can really talk about and go into details because uh, you mentioned that you are running business together, dollars and cents, and also you have two kids, your money together is, is one pool. We'll talk about how we get to that decision. But before that, let's get a male perspective. Not mine, fortunately. <laughs> we have our third guest, Marcus. Well, Marcus, what are some financial tips or, or strategies, some advice that you think couples can follow, regardless of which stage they're at, well, whether they're married or they're engaged or even the dating phase? Any thoughts? First and foremost, Andrew, thanks for putting me on the spot. Uh, it's, uh, it's good then, nonetheless to give a male's perspective uh, to this. But uh, full disclosure, I am uh, also married. I am a dad uh, to a three-year-old. I think, I mean, to the points both Teresa and Diana mentioned, definitely I can relate. Prior to COVID, me and my wife would squabble around travel destinations, uh, what kind of hotels we want to put ourselves up at. And uh, full disclosure, again, the odd Chanel surprise does come from time to time. Uh, but those aside and jokes aside, I think uh, a lot of what Teresa and Diana mentioned earlier around communication and having a safe zone really kind of resonates. I think between my wife and I, uh, we believe in, I guess, full disclosure uh, between each other around our salaries, our raises, not just around those, but also around our aspirations financially, uh, be it a dream house, be it a dream car, uh, be it a dream holiday. I think it's important to recognize that uh, whilst your spouse is a partner in life, uh, it is also important to recognize that at the end of the day, your spouse is also a human being. He or she would have her or his or her aspirational ones, be it a dream home, experiential ones in terms of a dream holiday, or financial uh, achievements that they would want to achieve. And you need to create this environment at home where there is open communication uh, for things to work. I think in terms of open communication, sometimes because it's about money, it's difficult, a conversation, and sometimes you need a mediator. And to this end, between my wife and I, uh, we're not afraid to seek uh, advice and counsel from, let's say, a financial expert. I myself and I'm in the investment industry. I don't count on myself as a neutral voice. In fact, we welcome a third party, be it an insurance agent, a banker, to kind of seek out both our opinions, understand both our finances, and then provide a very neutral, sound, robust uh, advice to, to us. And I mean, sometimes, and because it's a sensitive topic around money, sometimes as human beings, we don't really want to hear it from another human being. And that's where I think, you know, using AI, using applications, uh, it, it's fantastic. And in this era of technology, and that's why maybe we partner with Autumn, because using an app, uh, people get to access financial information, financial advice, but not through a human third party, but through an AI third party. And that would, I guess, work for many young couples nowadays as well. Mm. So what I'm hearing is that when you, because when you talk about finances, a lot of things, feelings are involved. But you might not be talking about the, the facts or the statistics or the numbers and an app helps you to do that because you pull all your you know, finances together and you all can look at the same page, right? Okay, so Diana mentioned that she and her husband put their money together in the same pool. But for you, Marcus, how is the arrangement like between you and your wife? 
I need to be very careful uh, because this is a recording and if I tell or say that I hide money away, my wife is going to know. So <laughs> I'm going to tell the, the truth. Under the, the pillow or something. Yeah, it's under this blanket in the third bedroom <laughs> under the pillow. But uh, I mean, again, jokes aside, I think it is important to first have a very open conversation with uh, your spouse. My view is that between my wife and I, we have a joint account. In our son, we have a joint project, so to speak. Uh, we are responsible for the life of a young kid and we want to see him succeed in life. And unfortunately or fortunately, that involves money. And to that end, we set up a joint account, uh, contribute to that joint account uh, to take care of his or her financial needs. That's important. And uh, I still think it's also important that uh, as human beings, we have our personal space. Uh, and therefore, it is communicated that we do maintain our own bank accounts. And for the, those bank accounts, I would say there is a bit less transparency. I guess uh, my wife kind of knows how much uh, there is there. Uh, she, I kind of know how much she has. And that's because we need to know because there are bigger things in life that, again, as normal human beings aspiring for things in life, you need those resources to aim for, like a new house, for example, a bigger space for the family. And so there needs to be some measure, but uh, some degree of opacity so that at the end of the day, people still appreciate some privacy, uh, some knowledge around how much they have on the side uh, is also healthy. Okay. Diana, any reaction to what Marcus has just shared? Because, you know, he mentioned that we need to look at some numbers to be on the same page. And also, I want to ask you, how do you have the conversation with your husband in the first place about putting your money together? Mm, it came off quite mutually. I think the whole stand of it, mm, I've known him for a long time. And I think from my perspective, um, like me joining Dollars and Cents and also like... Um, how I really hope that, you know, everyone has dreams and goals, right? And when I marry him, I want to help him with his goals as well. And similar for him, he wants to help me with my goals too. Like, I love kids so much. I want to have, like, make sure that we can provide for our kids and stuff like that. So things like that uh, kind of slowly, mutually got us into this conclusion that, hey, you know, for us to see things in a fuller perspective, it just makes sense. Uh, I'm not good with handling money anyway you are better and we can you can teach me and i'm happy to learn so in a way it became a win-win for us i i say for now uh but i think doing life together it gives me a different perspective of like hey you know let's achieve things together as well and the arrangement came in very apt in the end yeah mm. how do the conversations happen because i am thinking that for some couples they might be covert about it they don't know how to bring it up or they have oh. different set of expectations and assumptions so is it you'll go on a date at a cafe and then suddenly talk about it is it over a few conversations or you'll decide to sit down set a meeting today we're going to talk about finances how does it happen well i guess the topic only came in when we first bto so when you get a there's flat, a huge right? sum of money <laughs> to talk yes. about and you need to start about, oh, how are we going to pull that? Uh, okay, how are we going to manage those things? And um, I think BTO was probably the best timing to talk about how you want to manage your finances. The second timing that you want to talk about it is when you eventually plan for your wedding, another big amount of money that you need to spend on, and how are we going to go into that? So I guess opportunities like that allows you to talk about it more openly. The marriage preparation also helps as well. It gets you into perspective what real marriage life is. So using these like 
opportunities, it does help to iron things out on day one. You may actually date someone for a long time, but you don't really know actually what his expectations in life is 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. And only when you are making big decisions like that, you start to understand them a little bit more as well. So yeah, I take the opportunity to really look at each other in a different way. Mm, I I guess how it happens, it depends on the dynamics between the couple, right? But Mm. what I'm taking away from this conversation is that it is important that it happens. How it happens, it depends. But you you should have the conversation, talk about finances because both Deanna and Marcus shared that they have this conversation with their spouse to talk about the finances. and, And therefore, through these conversations, Deanna and her husband came to the conclusion that, okay, they should pull their money together. And it is their decision. You might come to a different decision. Theresa, do you have anything to add on to this part of Definitely. the Definitely. Yes, yes, please. In fact, I know I was just so encouraged to hear testimonies by Deanna and Marcus. And I just want to touch on this. Um, very unfortunate, many in many couples who come to see me, um, they have very different goal and perception of what marriage is. They feel many of them actually feel that you know a marriage is like an ends to uh, a means to an end. So, for example, you no, know, I have you know young couples coming to me. They quarrel about you no know, the selection, the choice of their first home. So some of them they see marriage as a way to fulfill you know needs that they didn't have a chance to fulfill when they are kids. For example, they've been staying in HDB flats all along and thinking that by getting married, both of us can pull our you no know, resources together and perhaps you no know, stay in a private property. Now, uh, what I like what Diana and Marcus share is both of you have this growth mindset coming together. Let's work things out. Let's see you know marriage as a journey to grow and to meet each other needs. Like for example, you know, helping each other in a career or helping each other to build their wealth and assets. So I think that is a very good mindset that both of you have. And I would encourage both of you to continue to have this mindset. Um, for other couples who are tuning in, I will just you know, encourage all of you, hey, it's okay to start small. I mean, you can start off with a three-room you no know, HDB flat. But you know, over time, as both of you grow in this marriage, as both of you grow this family, you also grow in terms of wealth. You also grow in terms of your financial resources. And you may be able to build a you know, family image that both of you have in the long run. Theresa, any advice on how to start the conversation? Because Deanna brought up BTO, huge conversation, mm. right? And yes. So children's education, huge financial outlay. How do you how do you start the conversation? I would suggest, you know, to have this conversation even right before marriage, even during courtship days. You know, hey, just share your dreams. Remember, I talk about being vulnerable. That is the way to actually, you know, get connected. It's a way to get to know, hey, is each other, you know, um, a partner that I will want to remain for the rest of my life. Have that conversation. It's okay. Just, you know, have a talk. Hey, you know, what's your dream home like? And what are our resources like at the moment? And how do we want to build this? But more importantly, as we share our aspirations, do actually listen with an attentive ear and you know, try not to you know, trivialize each other's needs and uh, each other's aspirations. That, that will actually be the blueprint to how you want to build this marriage. Yeah, I was going to say, going back to your first point about no judgments, right? You're just yes. sharing. And I like the yes. way you phrase your question. You know, what is your dream home like? Instead of like, what's your budget for our dream home? <laughs> it, you know, it sounds different. It sounds like the same question, but actually there's a difference, right? Because as you're talking about your dream home, it's a dreaming process for the couple in question, yes. right? 
Yes. And they can really share their aspirations, share their dreams before you go down to the, to the financial aspects and the nitty gritty of it. But before that, you've got to be aligned and be on the same page. Definitely. That's a common goal. How about couples with like different mindset on money and finances? Maybe one party really spends a lot more or they have different thoughts on how to how much to, to budget for the children's education or taking mm-hmm. care of the children. How should they discuss differences in opinions? Definitely. Okay. I mean, of course, you know, it all starts with a safe communication, uh, sharing with each other, but more importantly, sharing with each other where does that you know, idea or the thought come from. For example, you know, if let's say uh, one party say that, hey, you know, I will want to, you know, if possible, have all the resources you know, uh, pump into our kids' life because you know, when I was a kid, I don't have all these luxuries in our life. Um, Let's hear where he or she is coming from. Maybe there's this desire because, you know, I don't have this kind of, you know, blessings in my childhood and I don't want my kids to go through what I'm going through. But on the other hand, the other person might say that, hey, you know, uh, let's be you know, realistic. Do we have this kind of resources, the concern, especially now that with pandemic, everything can be very fluid. So one of the suggestions that I always give to my you know, couples is, Let's have a visualization. This is a time where you really have to bring out all your books, whatever you have, and look at the numbers and sense, especially with a visualization. That will actually help you to realize, hey, I didn't know that actually we have been spending so much money on this area, or actually we do have resources to do a little bit more for our family. Mm. So I I like to bring it out as visualization. That's like mm-hmm. quite similar to what Marcus shared earlier, really coming down together, looking at the numbers. So Marcus, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I concur with uh, what Teresa mentioned about visualization, you know, bringing all your resources to the table, uh, looking at things and then planning from that point on. I also second the view that especially in COVID, things are more volatile than normal. Uh, what the comfort and the security that uh, one might feel in his or her job might not be the same in current environments anymore. And therefore, I think it's important to defer to prudence as well. Uh, Andrew, to your question around uh, how should a couple come together and discuss if they have different concepts around how to spend money, how to manage money. One might have a, a more open approach to spending money. One might be more prudent often, and especially in this, uh, uh, in such times. Uh, of uh, uncertainty, I think it's best to defer to prudence and meet in the middle. And uh, back to the question around how uh, couples should do this, uh, I defer to my own example where between uh, my wife and I, there is some gap uh, in between the amount of money uh, she earns and I earn. I won't go into details of who earns more. Uh, It's a separate conversation, a sensitive one. But uh, I think we meet in the middle and we adopt a lifestyle that uh, is a best of the average between both our incomes. And therefore, we do not stretch the family's finances as a collective at a single one point. Should either one of us, unfortunately, uh, be unemployed at a certain point of time, just based on one person's income, we'll still be able to chug along as a family. So that's my thoughts around how to cope with this. Mm. Although you, I mean, it's a private affair, but I like that you bring it up. I'm sure some of our audience members, they are also uh, thinking about the difference in, in gap uh, into the income gap that the couple have. You know, it really depends on a case-by-case basis, right? So it's important to come down, sit together and have a, a common ground, common understanding for discussing your finances. Well, the next part of this conversation, I want to talk about planning for your children. You talked about 
it just now, but let's go into details. According to a list, uh, an article done by Dollars and Cents, raising a child up to the age of 18 in Singapore, guess how much? Deanna knows the answer. So maybe Marcus, <laughs> make a guess. Up to the uh, age of 18 in Singapore, one I child. I won't be judged if I get this wrong, but uh, <laughs> 200,000. Okay, Ther- Theresa? Maybe half a guess. million. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what some parents are doing. <laughs> What I really wouldn't be surprised if it's half a million. Maybe Deanna, you want to share with us the answer? I think Marcus is right. It's around right. 200,000. But that's a very conservative number, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. It is only factoring in a very basic minimum. For example, well, we also factor in insurance premiums, but at a basic level. Some simple overseas trips, you still need to bring your children overseas. And some simple celebrations, you need to buy birthday presents for them or have a simple birthday party. So taking into account the basics, well, you need a bare minimum of about $200,000 to raise a kid in Singapore up to the age of 18. And this is uh, an, an article done by Dollars and Cents. And of course, you include maternity, you know, childcare expenses, preschool fees, don't forget all of this. So well, raising children takes some money, but of course, we love them, we want the best for them. And, and therefore, we look at the, the cost of living in Singapore, this is the amount that we arrived at. Additionally, because we are the sandwiched generation, right? You have children, but you also need to take care of your aging parents. So you need to spend money at, at both sides. And some people might feel that they are burning, burning both ends of the candle and they might feel stressed out. And if as a couple, you don't work together to overcome all these challenges in life, it can be really difficult. Is that right, Teresa? Definitely. I think most, more importantly, the couple must come together to discuss what are the plans and what are their goals and their dreams for the children. Because if not, uh, a lot of times you'll find that couples, when they parent children, they, the knowledge, the, the style they have is actually based on what they went through when they were young. So, you know, Imagine if two individuals coming from two different backgrounds coming together. One would say that, hey, you know, let's indulge them and give them whatever resources that we have. But the other person said, hey, you know, let's go to the basics. We just want to give them a good education and no give them good behavior. So that's when all the disputes and all the conflicts can arise as well. And of course, underlying it is also how, as what I had mentioned earlier on, how each individual actually make meaning or make sense of what money and finance means to them. Mm. Uh-huh. Diana shared earlier that you and your husband agreed to pull your money together. But given that you are also working in the same business and that you have two children, are there moments where you all have differences and it took oh. you know, a bit of difficulty to work them out? Okay, so like mom instinct number one, right? Marcus probably would agree a little bit. So when I first had my first kid, I really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) And then calculating and really thinking about whether it makes any sense, um, we decided it doesn't make sense for us because uh, at my peak right now, at 30, it probably makes sense for me to go work and then get my mom to look after the kid instead. So having grandparents to watch over the kids, um, make some bonds between them. It could also work around as a win-win in another way. But, you know, like with most moms, like first-time moms and stuff like that, well, after maternity leave, you just really want to stay home somewhere and spend time with your kids. And yeah, these are some sacrifices that um, as moms has to do it uh, and go back to work. So it did came up after I have my first kid. I said, hey, you know, is there a chance that maybe I can be a stay-at-home mom for a year or two? And we calculated our finances and our goals and aspirations and said, nah, I think that's just 
not do it. And um, but till today, I don't think we ever regretted it. We discussed about it, and we make sure makes sense. It, it makes perfect sense that hey, you know, my mom to do it is probably the better way around for our family and finances as well. Mm, so the decision whether to stay home or not for yourself, it's not just a financial decision. And there's a part of you that wants to be closer with your kids. Is that right? But then yeah. you'll be doing the sums. Okay, if I'm out there earning money, this is what I can contribute to the family. You know, I can provide better for my children. So it, it really, it's really difficult. Yeah, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. I think there's no right or wrong. I, I mean, like, I really salute to all the stay-at-home moms. It's not an easy task even. But yeah, if there's a chance, I would stay home. But I don't think I can ever do that. So yeah, I think it's just like some some stuff that needs to be discussed as well, given the circumstances that you have. So the circumstances that I have is that I have a lot of grandparents around. So why not make full use of it? And um, anyway, they are retirees. They got nothing to do also. So it just makes perfect sense. So why do I need to go into it? La? So yeah, it just answered the question for myself. Yeah. How old are uh, your two kids? Uh, two and four. Two yeah. and four. Okay. I mean, Marcus is three years old, right? So that's, that's a very cute age. Very cute age. Yeah. yeah. Maybe could I just add? I mean, I like what um, Diana says. You know, you are just so resourceful, and you know that who to tap on for to support you. But I also wanted to add on. Sometimes, you know, we also need to be, you know, adaptable, be flexible, especially in times like this. I mean, nobody can predict, you know, COVID, and you know, nobody can predict that this pandemic is dragging, you know, over a year. So, you know, sometimes, you know, crisis does happen. For example, you know, with this COVID, we know that jobs were lost, new jobs were created. So also in terms of family life, I will also suggest and recommend you know, couples, especially young couples, to be adaptable. Just because you know, I gave birth during the, this pandemic and couldn't be a stay-at-home mom, it doesn't mean that I can't be a stay-at-home mom uh, in future. Let's just work together, together for the good of this marriage and be adaptable in these times like this. Marcus, how does it work for you in your family? <laughs> uh, well, first and foremost, I mean, around the numbers to raising a kid, you have me sweating in my seat, really. Uh, need to <laughs> yeah, relook my finances. Half a million, right? <laughs> Whoa. Uh, really. This is one kid. Uh. <laughs> uh, it also makes me rethink uh, whether I should have a second one. But uh, especially when raising one is already a handful. But I guess how it works in my family around, you know, how we plan on raising our kid. Again, boils down to uh, speaking. I think to Teresa's point earlier, it is very common for a person, a human being, to draw reference from his or her own childhood and how his or her own parents ran the family and think that's the right way to run a family. And then try to apply that on their spouse saying, this is the way my dad ran it. This is the way I want to run this family. And then the, the spouse, the wife might also adopt that view. And that's a cause for conflict. And I think that's often unnecessary. And that can all be sidestepped when a couple come together and kind of realize that this is a new family that they're starting up. This mm -hmm. is their own kids they're raising, their own family, their own rules. And it's up to you as a couple to come together, speak to each other and set your own rules. Never mind what you experience as a child. This is your family now. And you run by your own rules, by your own means, based on what resources that you have. And again, you need to understand your resources to come to that joint decision on what's the right path that you should take when raising your child. Okay, Marcus, could you share with us, is your wife working? Yes, she is. 
And okay. in this work from home environment, she's just working in the room next door to me. Okay, so I can sense that you're being very careful about what you're saying. Also. Yes. It'll go <laughs> a little joking. softer. <laughs> yeah, suddenly it'll go softer. I'm just joking about that. So, well, three-year-old kid, right? And what was the last conversation you've had about financial matters with regards to raising your kid? So, I guess to, you know, Teresa's point at your earlier point, uh, when you mentioned how do you actually raise the topic or how do you come to talking about finances, I think you need to be very comfortable uh, with talking uh, about it. It shouldn't be an artificial construct. If you need to set a calendar invite in your wife's calendar or your husband's calendar, I think it's not going to work. It's going to be a collision course, really. I think for me, the latest would be around the fact that we are all in a work from home environment. Uh, it does add stress around uh, who looks after the kid. And uh, we are in discussions around maybe uh, hiring a helper. And then obviously, uh, entails resource and costs as well. So anything can actually lead to a conversation around finances. Uh, it needs to be very natural. And I think the more naturalized uh, talking about finances is to a family, to a couple, the more it gets better, the more it becomes a very natural point of uh, conversation. There isn't a need to fear that you're talking about a sensitive topic. You generally create that safe zone between yourself and your spouse and your children around talking about finances. Of course, using an app, uh, using a resource, using a tool, uh, or like I said, using a financial expert creates, again, that natural point of contact, point of conversation, and then all helps lead to a very healthy conversation around the topic. Yeah, you mentioned you used Autumn to help plan your finances. So while in the decision to whether to hire a helper or not, it really helps to you know, put down all your or numbers into one page, right? And look at it, and then you make a decision from there, right? That's right. Theresa, from your experience working with clients, are there any conflicts that you see with regards to talking about raising children and how do you help the, your clients resolve them? Okay, of course. I mean, a lot of them actually uh, re revolve around holidays and also in terms of tuition. Which uh, tuition center do we want to send them? And we all know that in terms of tuition, it can be a wide range of numbers. So that's how I plot the half and a million that comes from. But having said that, I always go back to the basic needs, the emotional needs. I mean, why are they having this conflict? That's because on one hand, one of them just wants to have stability, security, especially in times like this. I mean, while it's nice, you know, if we have all the you no know, finances, it's good to actually you know, send our kids to a very reputated, a very high-end tuition center. But the reality is uh, our jobs in a stable uh, state position. Uh, are we in fear that anything can happen to us? All right. Uh, will the other person, all right, be able to you know, take the whole bill and you know, continue to pay the money bills of the money tuition fees on that? So it's always coming back to the basis. What are the basic fear? What are the basic insecurities and anxiety? And from there, that's why we actually you know, put on the table, you know, what are we doing and why are we actually having this, all these conflicts about money matters and a lot you know, about our children as well. Mm -hmm. So I would say that in terms of money, it actually creates and brings up a lot of emotions in each of us. Mm. Help me understand the process better. Do you put them in a room, with you in the room as well, and put them through a, a guided conversation with both parties talking without judgment? And if there's a change in tone from one party, you point it out, and then they yes. have to pull out the books and put their finances. How, how does the process look like? 
Definitely, all right. Um, I think you actually highlighted it. So I always tell like my couples, all right, when it comes to couple counseling, I'm not here to tell you whether who's right or who's wrong, but rather see me as a facilitator, helping you to facilitate a conversation that both of you can't seem to have at home or somehow get stuck at a certain stage. So my role is actually to you know create a safe environment for them to have that conversation in the presence of me. But there are some times that I will actually want to see them on an individual basis because especially when we come to a topic that seems to be linked to that, you know, personal experiences or maybe trauma from their childhood, that's when I will need to do a more in-depth work with the individual uh, spouse. And when he or she is ready, I'll put them back again to have the conversation. But ultimately, this is something that I always tell my couples. At the end of the day, whatever decision you make, I'll still respect that decision. Mm. So today our topic is on money matters in relationships. We talk about during the dating phase itself, Teresa mentioned that during the dating phase, you should really start talking about it. Yes. In a casual manner, but also in a way to, to build your future together. And mm. then... This topic is about children. The most recent topic they are covering right now at this moment is about children and planning for your finances to take care of your children's education and their future. But there's a step in between and that is the getting married part. You know, from engagement to, to getting married. Deanna, when you and your husband got married, were there any financial issues that you all have to work through? Whether is it the wedding or the vacation or the diamond ring? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Uh, well, it wasn't that bad because I'm quite a low maintenance girl, FYI. So, uh, I don't really need a lot of things. I mean, I, the, the good part is that I, I don't really expect these things. Uh, but I'm someone who likes surprises. I mean, good to him in a, a way that he can just surprise a proposal or like go for wedding shows together and decide on things. I think the more serious note for wedding, I mean, like for us in the marriage, right, was really to acknowledge the part about um, how do we include our family members, that means his parents, my parents, into the planning picture. Yeah, I think that's the bigger part of it. And usually people wouldn't want to broach that topic. But for us, it became very important because uh, I think not many know, but um, the closer friends probably knew that um, Tim is the youngest kid. He actually has a special needs sister. So from day one, when our relationship got serious, we kind of have to start thinking about, hey, you know, when marriage is on the table, you start to think about, hey, you know, no matter what, we need to take care of our parents and the sister for sure. And I think because of that, we fixed that on day one. It was quite a good thing that the conversation started way earlier, like five, six years ago. And today, like we hit that milestone to actually manage to stay nearer together with them. We got a estate that we stay close and we can watch over them, but not too near. We have some distance still, our privacy. But I guess like it wouldn't have happened if we didn't broach that topic in the earlier stage. And I think for Tim, it was important because especially people with like special needs siblings, right? They always wanted to make sure that their, their sister or brothers are well taken care of in the future as well. And I think I'm more than happy to really look after them and seeing them as my family members. And I think acknowledging that definitely helped with the financial planning. They always say that when you plan ahead, you have more opportunities, more than last minute decisions that you need to make. So 
I think it's always good to stay um, ahead of your plans. Um, try not to avoid topics if you can, um, because I think avoiding it, you will still have to face it at the end as well. So the, the thing about it is to really to face it. What's your comfort level? I think be transparent about it, like whether can you take it or not? Or there's always other ways to turn around to manage family issues or like uh, family arrangements. So things like that needs to be talked out mm. earlier than later, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Don't sweep things under the carpet. Yeah. Yes, there is. Yes, sorry. I just wanted to add on. Um, you no, know, we talk a lot about communication, being transparent. And I also want to just add an advice. If it bothers you, say out. Nothing is too petty. I want to say this because I just met a couple recently and the partner actually witnessed how his girlfriend actually having that dispute with his with her mother. And it bothers him so much, but he always thinks that it's so petty, it's so petty, I better don't bring it up. But no. But you have guessed, after a long period of time, it just become a tone in his heart and it actually creates a lot of barrier in terms of communication between the both of them. So my advice is, yes, don't sweep under the carpet and if it bothers you, no matter how petty it is, you think, say it out. Yep, don't let it faster, right? Yes, And also correct. Diana brought a very good point about marriage being two families coming together. It's not just two people. It's about two families coming together. And I, I think this is similar to the point uh, that Marcus talked about, which is different people with their different upbringing have different ways of thinking about money. Like your family affects and influences the way you think about money. And then now you are, you know, going to get married with another person and he or she will come from another set of family with different influences. And it's about really two, two people and two families coming together and working through all the different mindsets and making sure that you don't have assumptions and expectations. And that's why you need to talk it out and communicate. So before we move on to the Q&A segment, Theresa, would you like to wrap up this part of the conversation? Any last piece of advice? Anything that we really need to know about? Yes, definitely. I mean, I've seen couples for so many years, uh, over 10 years already, but there are three major advice that I would just like to share. The first is protection. Uh, before getting married, try to get yourself protected in terms of no savings or insurance because um, in my early years in my work, when I was working with low-income families, you know, I have seen a case where the breadwinner, who's a taxi driver, you know, got into such a serious car accident that he got paralyzed. And overnight, the family is just thrown into the frenzy because they didn't know what to do. So the first thing is get yourself protected. When you protect yourself, you also protect your children and the, your loved ones. The second thing is our savings. You know, while we talk about children that we just want to indulge that at, at times, but always make sure that you have enough for yourself, especially in times like this where many of us will find ourselves in a sandwich generation. So the, you know, our parents may need us and you know, our children also need us as well financially. So I think the best thing that we could do for our children is to ensure that we have enough savings, enough maybe retirement funds so that you know, uh, when they grow up, um, they don't have the pressure to feel like, oh no, I need to support my parents. And finally, the last part is legacy. Um, I have also seen cases where, you know, when the parents pass away uh, without any will, leaving just a humble HDB flat, the kids are just fighting all over it. They are trying to, you know, kick each other out so that they have a larger share in the flat. So I will advise that, you know, try to have a will so that, you know, when we pass on, we know that our kids are in good hands. So these are my three pointers for the couples. 
Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. Thank so you, Andrew. We're going to move on to the Q&A segments. Prior to this session, we have actually collected some questions from our viewers and we've collected these on Instagram, on social media, and we've shortlisted some of the questions for our speakers today. So the first uh, comment is, my husband and I grew up with very different mindsets about money. He's used to living it up and I'm worried about not having enough for the future because we have a new baby. How can I fix this? And the second comment was, well, again, uh, from the wife because she says that, my husband and I have different money attitudes and parenting style. Similar, right? He believes in indulging in the child while I'm trying to set a good behavior and this is affecting our marriage. Any advice? Before I ask Teresa to share, maybe I can get Marcus to share your thoughts with regards to different opinions about raising your children or about money. How do you uh, make sense of it? How do you work it out? Yeah, Andrew, thanks. Tough question and actually it's mm. one that... Uh, I think of every day. In fact, I would like to hear what Teresa has as advice for me. We're getting free counselling session from Teresa today. <laughs> indeed, indeed. This is an eye-opening session, very helpful session uh, for me. But uh, my own view, uh, I mean, draws back to my points earlier uh, around the fact that couples need to come together and kind of acknowledge that this is your family now to run. This is your life to lead. And this is your children to raise. Try your best while it's difficult, you know, to not bring in preconceived notions of what's right around how to spend your money, uh, how to raise your kid. But start a fresh start of the brand new page of paper uh, with your spouse, communicate, and based on your resources, evaluate how best can you uh, raise your child. At the end of the day, the mission is simple and the mission is common. You want the best for your child. This is how you reach that point based on the resources that you have. And as long as parents are in agreement, that this is the common goal and this is the common objective, giving the best you can to the, your child based on what you have. I think you're on, on safe ground and just building on that foundation, you would be able to find commonalities and, you know, at the end of the day, make the project your kid work. Mm, I, I like you mentioned that your kid is like a project and you two are working on it to make sure that your kid really gets the best. And so it's about going back to the original intentions and looking at the bigger picture. Teresa, is that a, a good way of approaching this issue? Definitely, definitely. In fact, I like what Marcus said, you know, it's like working together to know that whatever we do, whatever decisions we make is for the best of our children. But behind that, I think it's also good to have the open communication, a non-judgmental one where we hear each other. For example, the term you know, indulgence, as you mentioned, indulgence may mean differently to different people. To some people, you know, like having McDonald's uh, on a weekly basis is an indulgence. But to some people, McDonald's is just daily necessity. So then in that case, the couples will have to come together to talk about what is indulgent to them, what's the definition of not an indulgent. So that that will actually you know, prevent or kind of clear out any doubts or misunderstanding between each other. And always remember, when we hear or listen to each other, let's put away our judgment. Let's hear from the perspective that he or she has the best intention for the child. Okay, I think that that's really important because you might have the preconceived notion that oh, why are you thinking this way? Why are you thinking this yeah. from me? You're on a different page. But actually, you need to look at the reasoning behind it, which is, which goes back to you know how you're brought up and your money mindset is influenced by your family. And so to look beyond that. Mm, definitely. Okay. But maybe on the one hand, I also want to add on, for example, I've heard of cases where, you know, parents who, they have enough resources, all right, want to bring their kids to see the northern lights. And we all know that per person can be about four to five K, you know, for a trip like this. So I think we have to go back to the basic 
needs. Why is one parent no, like supportive of this idea? Maybe perhaps for him or her, he just wanted to give the experience to the kid. But to the other person, maybe he or she or she feel like, no, at this young age, does he or she understand what this Northern Lights is all about? Um, can we delay this until our kids is a bit older to understand this? So what the couples need to do is to really have that talk, you know, have that conversation between both of them to clear any doubts. Thank you, Theresa. Moving on Thank with you. the questions. We're looking at uh, these two questions are similar. So again, I'll group them together and it will be for Deanna to answer because it is related to the conversation we've had about weddings. So this viewer said that, what's the best way to budget for a wedding without skimping on the experience? And another person said, I'm planning to get married. We're casually looking at engagement rings now. How should I, and I'm reading it as it is, how should I delicately request that I want a big rock? Wow, that's, Deanna, a, any thoughts? that's a good question for all ladies who's like tying the knot. I think in terms of the first question first, like advices to really like, hack around making the best budget for your wedding uh, one thing that I did is to research and get the best credit card deal you can get earn your mouse and that can be for your to be redeemed for your future holidays or honeymoon so I got a lot because like in terms of bank code you are basically spending a huge ass amount of money like 50k at least and then there's also other kind of expenses you're spending so consolidate them if the credit card has like certain limits to the cashback or mouse, split your credit card bills and pay by two credit cards if you need two or three and uh, get the rewards and save it for good days. Lah. Another way you could do is going around for planning for your wedding. There are ways you can splurge. There are also ways you can save up a little bit more. So decisions, for example, like without skimping on experience, lah, like um, do you rent or buy wedding gowns is it necessary to buy one buy already also don't know put where or maybe carousel <laughs> it after that um, or like outdoor or indoor photo shoots outdoor ones are pretty nice as well it can look like Taiwan in Singapore sometimes Taobao versus designer gowns you can there are a lot of options out there and if you are savvy enough you'll be able to find the cheaper alternatives and you still look good um, there are ways to make yourself look good like go gym around and make sure you're fit and whatever you wear will be awesome as well and gorgeous so these are some things that uh, you could do um, banquet venue I think most importantly to make it affordable for your relatives and family um, just to make sure that your uncle can actually cover your bills you should really look at Tim's face when he was counting the red packet money two days after our wedding right when we were about to hit the equal sign just to make sure that we covered our bills phew we barely managed to only and and it just realized that you know like we cannot expect that people pay for your banquet bills la. so uh and you wouldn't want to overspend it anyway because those money can actually go into your renovation in the future and stuff like that and then moving on to the next one which is like how do you request for a bigger rock right <laughs> Okay, hack number one. If you have mutual friends, if you have mutual friends, right? Get them to inspire him, right? Hey, oh, over dinner, accidentally <laughs> spill something. La, like, oh, what about that blue box? Or, yeah, <laughs> what about that blue box brand? It seems quite nice. I think they're on promotion or something. Uh, send some promo codes if there is. 
another one is like, well, you know, you go through your IG, right? And you saw your friends getting engaged or when you are helping out with people's proposal, just put in remarks. So the more you comment about it, the better idea he gets out of it. Like, oh, this so-and-so, the ring is quite nice. So then maybe he will start thinking, okay, maybe that's around the range that the, the girl is looking for. So I think commenting, be more open in like, you know, sharing like your views about others. Then maybe you have a higher chance of doing that. I like subtle hints over like just telling the person what to do. Yeah. Slowly seed the thought. Yeah, roughly <laughs> tell him. Yeah. Uh, Marcus is going back into his memory right now. <laughs> did I get psycho like that last time? Yeah, yeah. I'm just <laughs> rethinking and when did my wife uh, incept some of these ideas into my head? Uh, and I'm happy to say that I'm already married. So no matter what, I don't have to go it's through done. this anymore. Yep, kid is really three years old. <laughs> Look at the next question. Well, I want to ask this question to the three of you because uh, this uh, viewer said, top three advice, financial or otherwise, you would share to any couple planning to tie the knot. So maybe I can hear one piece of advice from each of you, financial or otherwise. Let's start with Marcus. Yeah, I guess financially, my advice is to be prudent. I say this not because I want to deny people of that experiential euphoria when you get married, it's definitely going to be there. At the end of the day, a wedding is a fantastic and big milestone in your life and it's worth celebrating. But it's also important to recognize that this is the first big financial milestone in many milestones to come, you said, as a couple. So go ahead, plan within your means, have that experiential feeling, that euphoria uh, that you should have rightfully. Uh, because you should and everyone should celebrate your coming together, but also not set yourself back so hard that you start your marriage on poor financial ground because starting your marriage on poor financial ground isn't sound advice for, I guess, the longevity or the happiness of one's marriage. So that's my financial advice. Okay. Diana, any last thoughts to share? I think my advice is don't compare. I think everyone has different situation scenarios. It may seem all rosy at a surface, but then everyone goes through different challenges as well. Uh, that is not commonly stayed out and stuff like that. So um, there's no like one formula for success uh, as a couple. What works for me and Tim may not work for a lot of people or what, what fits well for others may not actually fit into us. And I think it's really all about the comfort level that you can hold up to and the respect you have with one another. I think trust and respect is important as well in a marriage and that will help in building your financial wealth in a good long run. And I think comparing sometimes may actually create a lot of conflict. I think taking those things out, it will probably help focus more on what the family needs to move into rather than to compare around what you don't have and you you make your life so miserable as well. I think that is very, very important. Okay. There is a one piece of advice for couples planning to tie the knot. All right, wedding is not the end of everything. It's the start of a new journey. See it as you know, it's a start of a journey to grow as a family, as a couple together. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Diana. Thank you. And thank you, Marcus. We also have one last question. What are some tools or apps that couples can use to better split or manage their finances to prevent arguments? Because Marcus brought up here some tools that he used, some apps. Well, what methods do you use to discuss with your wife, Marcus? I guess I am pretty old school, so I like to defer to pen and paper 
I like to write down uh, where I am in terms of my finances on a quarterly basis. Uh, I don't suggest that everyone use pen and paper. In fact, you know, right now out there, and I guess with Autumn as well, there are applications with modules within that would allow you to share some of your financial information uh, with your spouse. At the end of the day, you control what you share, uh, but you are allowed to share. And through that technological platform, like with the Autumn app, you allow your spouse to also come into your financial world and kind of understand your financial situation. And when they see the numbers behind what you say, they get a better picture. So if you're saying, hey, let's put off that uh, holiday or let's put off that car or that house, why? Actually, sometimes the numbers do speak for themselves. Uh, and if your spouse sees those numbers, I think it makes it a more communicative kind of environment for you and spouse to talk through some of these financial decisions. Uh, it would help. I wouldn't say it indicates all arguments, but it would help bring down the number of arguments you have with your spouse, I'm sure. Mm, so we talk about openness in communication. One of the best ways is to really bring out the finances and you'll be honest about your situation. Your spouse be honest about your situation. But sometimes your, your money is all over different bank accounts and all over the place, right? How do you pull them together? So actually in the Autumn app, there is a My Circle function. And I'm understanding this because this viewer said that she's asking for tools, right? He or she is asking for tools or apps. And because this is part of Autumn Conversations, while looking at this, recording and this uh, live stream, we also will look at what Autumn is doing. And so let's check out my circle function because what it does is that it allows your spouse to look at your financial information and you can also look at your spouse's financial information so that both of you can have joint access as part of the functions within the app itself. Of course, what the Autumn app does is also pulls financial information from different places so that you can have a bird's eye view and therefore makes it easier for not just you to do your own planning, but for you as a family unit to do your family financial planning together. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Autumn Conversations. Money management can be simple through Autumn. Take control of your finances now so you can map out the future that you want. You can download the Autumn app on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. My name is Andrew from The Financial Coconut. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Deanna. And thank you, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you love this content, check out Autumn. Stay on top of your finances, health, and aspirations all in a single app. Autumn lets you integrate all your bank accounts, aggregate your data, increase your clarity, and make better financial decisions. Download Autumn now, a mobile app designed to easily organize and track your finances, health, and lifestyle so you can stay on track to achieving your life goals.